Welcome in to another edition of Divorce Force Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm very excited to his next guest. He currently is the marketing coordinator at the NCAA, Daniel Zoday. How you doing today, Daniel? I am doing pretty all right, Adam. How about yourself, sir? Hey, man. Um, right here between Baltimore and D.C., so... I uh, really can't complain. <laughs> good, good. I can hear the, uh, I can actually, you just said it. I can hear that Baltimore in your accent just now. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, you know, things are going well as best they can, you know, as we continue, um, you know, through the pandemic. But obviously, uh, you know, there's no straight arrow or certain path into the sports industry. Uh, yeah. So talk about, you know, your path to your current role now. And what was that process like for you to get, you know, that position with the NCAA? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I always tell people, um, you know, I, I interact with a lot of student athletes right now, um, just in some uh, in some leadership uh, facilitating capacities at the NCAA. And every single time they ask me how I got to where I am, it's always, well, <laughs> I have a weird I have a weird story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Don't we all, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, so I uh, I actually so I was a, I, I ran track in college. Um, I went to school at West Texas A&M University um, and ran there, um, really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do uh, while I was in college. And, you know, I, I still consider myself pretty young in my career. I'm only, you know, seven, eight years in right at this point, um, but had no idea what I wanted to be doing now at this point at that back then whenever i was in college and so uh after i graduated took a little step away from sports um you know went and worked for my alma mater as an admissions counselor for a little bit <laughs> um i absolutely hated that job but i loved <laughs> i loved the people i worked with um i had a i had a bunch of great people who were who were awesome like they helped develop me as a young professional. And I, like, I still talk to my bosses from West Texas a and at least once a month at this point. Um, great, great, uh, great, great leadership build, leader builders. I, I don't even know. Uh, but so anyway, as well as working at West Texas, I, uh, I had, uh, I had started applying for jobs, started interviewing around the state, was applying mostly for admissions jobs because it was, you know, it's kind of what I what I knew at that point. And uh, I was interviewing. I interviewed for like four jobs with Texas Tech and didn't get a single one. Uh, I uh, since I didn't get any of those jobs, I you know it's like ready to just grind it out for another year and just wait for you know the ne the next cycle as they call it um, within within higher education. And uh, I got a call back uh, right at the beginning of the school year, um, the academic year at that point. So this is fall of 14. <laughs> they said, hey, we know we didn't offer you any of the jobs you applied for, but we have this opening in marketing that you would probably be perfect for. And so uh, long story short, I went down, interviewed, got the job in the same day. And uh, so worked at Texas Tech for a little while, um, worked in central marketing and comms. At that point, that was whenever I started getting the itch to want to be back around sports. So, you know, I was working for a Power Five institution. I was going to football games, I was going to basketball games. You know, at this point, Texas Tech started to come up uh, in the College World Series, and so, you know, pretty pretty strong athletics program down there. And uh, so, I started to volunteer in the athletics department, um, specifically in their um, leadership development department. And so, um, started to do some uh, work on some marketing items for them. Um, and just in my, you know, in the free time that none of us ever have. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I, uh, I was doing that for a little bit. One of their senior administrators was sending me jobs left and right. Um, she has since become a mentor to me. 
Um, and, and actually just announced her retirement earlier uh, this fall. She, uh, oh, wow. Judy, Dr. Judy Henry down at Texas Tech, she's been in their senior leadership team for a number of years now and is, you know, well-respected around the country and uh, sad to see her uh, retiring uh, in December. So, but uh, she was, you know, it was like, a, hey, you'd probably be a pretty good fit for this job. Hey, I know somebody in this department, you know, and just sending jobs left and right to me. And so <laughs> ended up biting uh, on a job with USA Track um, and applied for the job, you know, early in the winter, in the winter time and ended up moving to Indianapolis in the early summertime and uh, worked for the Olympic track team during the 2016 Olympic trials, 2016 Olympic games and 2017 outdoor world championships. And so uh, I was, a tra- I told, I mentioned I was a track and field athlete in college. I thought I knew everything about track and field at that point. You know, <laughs> I, know, I know the events, I know the athletes, I know, you know, all those sorts of things. And it was like, no, I learned the business side of things. Um, you know, like I'd never thought I'd, I, like I had no idea walking into that job what I would like, that I would look, come away knowing as much about track and field now as I, as I thought I knew back then. And so um, really cool job, uh, just wasn't super challenging for me. And so uh, at the time, one of USA Track's board of directors was at, was working at the NCAA, um, and he happened to be on the search committee for the job that I applied for. And so he um, he, he and I had a mutual contact contact, and uh, his contact happened to be his old boss at USA Track, and I had done a couple of projects for this guy at USA Track as well. And uh, <laughs> he put my name in, and uh, that's how I landed at the NCAA. That's that's awesome. Uh, a lot of key points there. Of yeah. course, volunteering working outside of sports networking um i want to touch on your time outside of sports um because a lot i think a lot of students um you know they they want to work in the sports industry and they say i want to only do sports but how vital is to get that business experience whether it's you know outside of sports working for a corporate company or even like yourself where you're doing admissions for the college how how important is that to diversify and get experience outside of sports, even if you want to work in the sports industry? Yeah, I, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think for me, um, the, so whenever I'm looking at uh, our, you know, potential uh, candidates for positions we're filling at the national office or interns, um, I'm on a lot of those search committees. And I love whenever people apply from random industries, you know, whether <laughs> that be from corporate, like you said, like corporate or nonprofit or higher ed. Um, just because, you know, you've been in the business long enough, you know, obviously that there's so many transferable skills. Um, I I think that for me, what's important is people conveying their love for sports Um, because, you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not a, it's not a career. It's a lifestyle. I mean, it's the late nights, it's the early mornings. It's the, (laughs) you know, the, the, I'm, I'm in one hotel for two days. I'm in another hotel for another night and a half, like those sorts of things. It's, it's tiring. Um, and so it's, 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 you've got to be bought in as a, you know, you've got to be bought in as a lifestyle. So, um, I think what's, what's most important to pull from other areas is, you know, what I learned in my first job. And I like, I have a few key lessons that I learned from every single job. Right. So (laughs) my first job was I, I, I just learned general business etiquette. It was things like, you know, like how to write, how to respond to an email, like, you know, how to block off my calendar, how to request, you know, like meeting rooms and things like that. And like the, the business, business etiquette, I think is something that, you know, it's, we talk a lot about like where curriculum is for high school and early college students right now, like how they don't learn how to do taxes, how they don't learn how to do those sorts Mm -hmm. of things. I would equate this to that. Like, um, you know, a lot of people, like, 
I, I didn't know how to use Outlook until I graduated, like until I was probably a year and a half, two years into my career, at least how to use it efficiently. Um, and then, you know, my second role, uh, whenever I was uh, at Texas Tech, that was that was a marketing center role. And we were, you know, we were essentially like an in-house agency. Um, and so in that role, I learned a lot of the hard marketing skills. And so it was, you know, it was learning about traditional marketing. It was learning about things like scheduling software. It was learning about vendor and relationship management. It was learning about, you know, uh, cross, cross-functional collaboration. You know, I was working with, I was working with Rex Sports. I was working with our, you know, our, provost's office, I was working with our chancellor's office, I was working with the athletics department. And it was just, uh, I, I think there, that was where I sort of fu- operated in a more corporate fashion than I have, even even compared to where I am now. Um, that Those were some of the big things I took away there. And I think that, you know, folks, folks, like you mentioned, folks just think, oh, I need to get as much volunteer experience as I can in athletics or, or in sport or in, you know, yeah. wherever it may be. It may be a, gov- you know, a sports governing body or, a, you know, a local sports commission, those sorts of things. But like people fail to realize, like, you know, sports teams have marketing departments, sports teams have operations folks, sports teams have, you know, communications and PR folks. And, you know, there, there are sport, sport, sporting sports teams and organizations operate like corporations. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I couldn't say any better. Um, I mean, sports is a business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and talk about um, with you being at the NCAA corporate office. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's uh, multiple levels, uh, lots of teams. So, how do you work in your current role? Um, how many sports do you cover, and what does that look like on your day to day? Yeah, so uh, NCAA has, you know, essentially five big umbrellas um, that we have within the national office. There's obviously smaller ones that fall underneath those big ones, but uh, my big umbrella that I fall under is championships. And so um, men's and women's basketball are sort of their own umbrella, and then you have championships as the other big umbrella. So we have about 100 100 or so staff members that are within championships, and you have different functional areas, like you have the broadcast folks, you have the corporate partnership and relationship folks, you have the championship operations folks who are essentially the championship planners. Um, And then I fall into the championships external operations group, which includes digital social, um, includes uh, marketing and ticketing, branding and licensing, and media coordination and statistics. And so uh, what I do at the NCAA is I work in the marketing and ticketing group. Um, My group oversees the marketing and ticketing efforts for 15 different championships. Um, as well as providing counsel for the other um, 80 or so championships that we oversee, or sorry, 70 or so that we oversee. <laughs> but uh, the ones I directly oversee are, uh, they're all division one. So in order, it is the women's soccer championship, the men's soccer championship, the postseason NIT, the women's gymnastics championship, the women's lacrosse championship, and the outdoor track and field championships, as well as a secondary point of contact for the uh, men's ice hockey championship, the women's basketball championship and the men's lacrosse championships. Yeah, I'm sure you know that really keeps you busy. So, yeah, um, given that you know the championship piece um, is sort of you know that one or towards the end of the year, mm-hmm. what does the planning look like um, from an operational standpoint um, before that? Yeah, so we uh, in general it varies from championship to championship, but I would say that the most extensive uh, planning for these championships starts about in the six to eight month range ahead of the championship. And so (laughs) six, yeah. So six to eight months ahead of the championship. Um, Obviously everybody's aware that, you know, the, the, the seasons are generally four to six months ahead of the championship. Right. 
And so in that six to eight month period, what we're doing is we're visiting where the actual championship is going to be held. You know, we're, we're taking tally of the number of seats that we're going to be able to actually sell at the championship. We're taking a look at the locker rooms and, um, you know, figuring out how, you know, if it's a four team final site championship, you know, for example, like the final four, they're going through the locker rooms and figuring out how they're going to, you know, get two teams in without the other, without, for the first game, without letting the other two teams see the, the first two teams that are in the locker rooms, those sorts of things. Um, and so, <coughs> excuse me, um, for the, uh, you know, for, for the, for those, those meetings that we start having six to eight months ahead of time, we're in a room with our champ, we call them our championship administrators. And those are the operations folks. And you have the champ admin in the room. You've got myself, who's a marketing and ticketing lead in the room. You've got a broadcast person who's in the room who liaises with the ESPN or whoever is going to be broadcasting the championship. You have a digital and social lead in the room who's going to be uh, overseeing the both the regular season coverage and the postseason coverage for the championship. You have a uh, you have a side person who's in the room who literally just takes takes care of the look and feel of the championship site um, whenever you're at the actual venue. Um, and then there's obviously there's some you know one off additional folks in the room, but those are your core groups that we work with. Um, and they're, we call those groups our uh, championship working groups. So that's uh, sort of how the planning process begins for us. Yeah, I mean, that's phenomenal. And um, since the um, pandemic has started and, and uh, kind of put, you know, has affected every sport on every level, how mm -hmm. has that, how did that change, you know, the planning on, on your level and, you know, what is this, what had, you know, what was altered and, you know, what changed, uh, you know, since COVID? Yeah. So I would say that, you know, obviously March was a tough time for every single sports sports league, right. For the NCAA, for um, the NFL, for the NBA, for the MLB, for the NA. I mean, I could, I could go on and on with all these acronyms. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think what shifted for us immediately was we, we started to take a, we started to take a look and approach, uh, you know, from, the fan side of things. What would a fan want and need to know um, that they don't know right this second, right? And so we, what my group specifically, what we started with was a, we, we started coming up with different scenarios. Um, you know, we'd never been in a sort of catastrophic, uh, or I'm calling the pandemic a catastrophic uh, <laughs> scenario. And, uh, you know, we'd never, we'd never even thought about that. That thought had never crossed our minds. You know, we sort of, we sort of get into these, these cycles and we just, we, we operate within those cycles and we forget that things can come crumbling down anytime. And so we have started to come up with scenarios like, you know, what happens in the event that we have limited fan attendance? What happens in the event that we have no fan attendance? We ha what happens in the event that we have, you know, uh, a specific capacity or, you know, all these different, we, we tried to come up with all these different scenarios, both COVID influenced and non COVID influenced. Um, and we've just done a SWOT analysis on every single one of those. Um, you know, what are the, some, some of the strengths of the scenario? What are the weaknesses? What are the opportunities? What are the threats? And then how do, and then, so our entire championships floor has done this. And then we took it to our, specifically to our marketing and ticketing group. Okay, what does it look like if we're promoting a championship that has 25% capacity? What does it look like if we're promoting a championship that has, you know, only, you know, skeleton staff attendance, like those sorts of things? Yeah, and I'm sure uh, the NCAA is closely following uh, the NHL, the NBA, and, you know, the NFL as, you know, they are, the NFL has some fans. And I know also, you know, even the colleges on the college level, uh, you know, some conferences are doing uh, fans, which is great to see 
it's great to see that, um, you know, with, with having uh, some fans in the stands right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, you know, obviously we have a chief medical officer at the NCAA and he's, uh, you know, he's been fantastic this entire time. He's been very transparent with us. And, you know, uh, he sits on a couple of boards outside of the NCAA where he is, you know, he's in direct contact with researchers and other medical professionals and just leaning on them for their best advice to determine how we should, how we should be proceeding and operating. Um, and then on top of that, you know, it's, it, I, I think that people forget that the impact of coronavirus on us versus the other sports leagues is a little bit more significant. Um, <laughs> to put it in perspective for you, um, you know, we host uh, a little over 20 championships in the fall in the fall uh, semester, right? And so um, the number of participating uh, schools is over 300 schools. Um, and then the number of participating athletes is about 26,000 athletes. And so we have, uh, we have uh, several, several times over what the other leagues may have to worry about in terms of number of bodies we're, we're just worried about. And that's just in athletes. That doesn't count, you know, the fans. That doesn't count the, you know, the volunteers, the staff that's working at these venues, the, you know, the, the folks who are hosting, meaning the institutions or the uh, local sports commissions. Yeah. So we were, we've, we've, we've been impacted in a, in a very big way. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, the student body, of course, as well. Um, yeah. Obviously that can, you know, throw a wrinkle as well. Um, but, but talk about the NCAA and what they've done well during this time. Obviously um, we started out with March Madness uh, being uh, canceled along with other tournaments being canceled when uh, early March hit, but talk about what, we've seen from the NCAA standpoint how what they've been able to do on a you know in a positive way so that you know sports can continue yeah um I think that you know as a staff member as a fan of sport as a you know all those sort of titles I carry um in addition to being an employee of the NCAA um I think that uh we have done a pretty good job of being patient um, and being patient in more than one way. I think that there's, you know, there are a lot of opinions that have been shared uh, both, you know, locally and nationally about, uh, you know, both the things we've done well and the things we've not done well. I think what we've done really well is be patient and wait to see what institutions are doing, to see what conferences are doing, and then to see what, you know, what, what state and local governments are doing. Um, you know, I live here in Indianapolis and, you know, the state moved over to stage five this past, uh, this past weekend. And, Indianapolis is remaining at stage 4.5 is what they've been calling it for the last two <laughs> months. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, the mask mandate is still in effect, but for the most part, things are opened back up. Um, but I think that we are, we're being, you know, abundantly cautious. And I think that being abundantly cautious and being patient is kind of paying dividends now um, as we start to see cases rise in some of these other metropolitan areas. Yeah. I mean, especially because you never know, uh, I mean, the virus can, I mean, the pandemic changes on a daily basis, right? I mean, yeah. you make one decision here, then it changes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so talk about um, like with the NCAA, what they did this past um, winter and spring, I guess it was spring when they uh, canceled the remainder of all uh, spring sports. Is there a particular decision or reason why um, they left it up to the schools or conferences to make that decision about uh, the fall sports and particularly football as well? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think number one, uh, 
folks, folks think that we hold a lot more power um, than we actually do. You know, we, yeah, and I, like, I, I always, I, I, I get into this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it a creative discussion rather than an argument with a lot of my friends and family members, just because, you know, they, they know that I work for the NCAA. And so it's, you know, I'm, I'm hiding behind the blue disc essentially, but uh, really like we are a membership driven organization. Um, you know, we have 1100 uh, institutions that are members across divisions one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're the ones that guide all of the decisions we make. You know, if we change a bylaw, it's because somebody in an, at an institution proposed it. If we, you know, anything that we change, it comes from the membership and, you know, it's voted on and ratified. It's voted on by membership and then it's ratified by our board of governors. And so, um, I think that that's, that's sort of the, that's, that's sort of knowledge that I gained from working at USA track. And then, um, it's aided me in my time here at the NCAA and my own patients. And so, um, I think that what folks, and so I, I, I use all that background to say, I think folks miss, you know, misunderstand that it's not a, it's not our decision to cancel, um, anything besides the championships because folks can still have their regular season, you know, um, regular season participation there we just won't host our championship at the same time um and you know with us rescheduling all of our division one championships to the spring folks could still have their you know they could and i'm this is in theory i don't think anybody would actually do this but you know you could have your cross-country season in the fall and still compete in a championship in the spring um for example uh yeah that, that totally makes sense so i guess for just clarification because yeah. most of the spring sports were towards the end of its season it made mm -hmm. it a lot easier to cancel. Is that is that essentially? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I uh, I missed that question. So, um, with with the decision that came down, I think that the reason that that decision came down is because a lot of the tournaments that were tournaments and championships that were canceled were at the conference level, and so it affected our ability to select a you know what would have been considered a, a you know an actual actually contested championship field, and so. I think you saw the you know the first decision was made by the Ivy League back in March, and then it was it sort of cascaded from there. And then similarly this fall, the same thing happened. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, talk about so talk about the marketing piece. Um, you know, obviously um, there's all types of uh, departments, but I, I love uh, you know marketing in particular. Talk about uh, you know the funds aspects, the projects you get to work on um, within the marketing side of the house. Yeah. So, um, you know, we obviously we have multiple marketing arms within within the NCAA. And so specifically what I work on is the um, championship promotion and fan attendance piece of the marketing here. So my my end game here is, you know, revenue generation. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And it, I, I, I listened to your uh, you know, you had uh, I, I think is, I can't remember his name on your as your guest last week. But, uh, you know, yeah, he's Alan. A, he's a, Alan. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and he's a former sales development guy, right? And so it's exactly you know, exact same thing: revenue generation. Um, how can I either make more money or spend less so that it looks like we make more, right? Um, but uh, so the way that my my marketing, uh, you know, the way that I operate as a marketer right now at the NCAA is uh, we we you know I mentioned that we start our championship planning process six to eight months out, mm -hmm. and um, you know our championship tickets typically go on sale about four to five months ahead of our championship. And so in that six to eight months, what I'm doing is I'm working on uh, our, on, a, on an, on an all encompassing sales marketing plan. And so what that comes, what, how that, how that looks for me on paper, um, you know, I am thinking about, 
you know, I'm, I'm thinking on a national scale. And so I'm, I'm looking at niche uh, media outlets that I can, that I can reach out to. And so, you know, for, I'll use track and field because I'm a fan and because I worked at the governing body and because I, uh, you know, because I, I, I am most well-educated in track and field, you know, <laughs> USA track and field is one of our media outlets. And so we, you know, we, we make a media purchase with them and we advertise our championship through them. You know, I work with track and field news to promote our championship there. I work with, you know, uh, different running clubs across the country, whether it be Bowerman Track Club or, you know, Bell Lap Track and Field out here in Illinois or, um, you know, a, a, several different organizations nationally to help promote our championship um, nationwide. And then I actually lean or I, I lean on the, the host for the championship. So in the 2021 academic year, It'll be uh, the University of Oregon. We'll be out in Eugene again for the championship, and uh, I will lean on them to promote locally, and so locally and regionally. And so they will provide a marketing plan. I'll provide them with feedback, and then they execute their marketing plan on the local level. And I'll provide them with assets, whether that be digital or physical assets. Um, so that's sort of my responsibility on the marketing side. And then uh, you know those same mar- those same promotion avenues that I'm using, I'm also using those for sales as well. And so. Um, on the ticketing side of things, which pe- people always forget that I'm a ticketing guy as well. Um, and I, think that, I think that all ticketing people are also marketing people, if we're being completely honest. Um, I, uh, I help set ticket prices. I help set on sale dates. I help, you know, I'm, I'm a ticket sales and operations guy. And so uh, that's how I, how I marry the two is all those same avenues that I'm using to promote the championship. I'm using them to promote t- ticket sales as well. Wow, that's awesome. And as yeah. far as uh, setting the prices, what does that look like? And I guess that also determines, uh, you guys do that on, uh, depending on matchup as well. So, yeah. Um, well, so ticket prices, we actually set those pretty early. Um, and this, this past academic year, we went through a forecasting activity, um, with our finance department, you know, because finance folks love to plan, um, <laughs> unlike us, unlike, unlike us marketing people, uh, they, uh, so we went through a forecasting activity where we sort of used some of our, um, our past three years worth of data, um, three to five years worth of data to determine how we should expect to either increase or, you know, uh, plateau our, with our ticket sales over the next couple of years. But um, as far as actually setting ticket prices, we'll take a look at, you know, if we're in, if I'm in San Jose for the women's soccer championship, I'll take a look at the earthquakes and see what they're selling their tickets for. I'll take a look at Stanford or San Jose state and see what they're selling their tickets for. Um, you know, look around and see if there are any events going on in that same venue at any time, you know, near or, you know, before or after your event. Um, and you, you try and do a little bit of research, right? And, you know, I, I say a little bit of research, I'm talking about half an hour, an hour top. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, because, you know, it's it, they're numbers and it's it's not hard to find numbers, right? And uh, you use those numbers to sort of guide your decision. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the all these folks who are hosting these championships, they have to bid on these championships, but they bid on them, you know, up to five and seven years ago. Um, so those t- the ticket prices they submitted in their original bid may not necessarily be accurate or valid now. And so a lot of times they'll propose prices to us and then we'll just modify, you know, things here or there. Sometimes they nail it on the head and they'll, you know, whatever they propose for the current year ends up being what we go with. Yeah, for sure. And talk Mm -hmm. about, um, obviously there's a lot of moving parts and Mm -hmm. your day, there's never a day that's the same, I would imagine. Um, Absolutely not. (laughs) So how do you um, manage your time? Obviously, 
you know, a lot of college students, when they first get into college, they, you know, they, they have to learn those, uh, manage, you know, time management skills early. But how do you do that? And what are, you know, some best practices that have you learned over time to best manage your day effectively? Yeah. So um, I said earlier, in, uh, you know, earlier in our conversation that a lot of the work I do is cyclical. And so I think that depending on the time of year, that sort of determines how I manage my time during the day. And so I would say as you get closer to a championship, if there is anything that, you know, that requires or that, that involves a, a, an on sale or a pre-sale or any of those sorts of things, anything that involves, you know, you, you putting tickets on sale and available to the public, that is sort of what takes priority over everything else. Um, because you want to ensure a, you know, an efficient and a, you know, a well done, a seamless launch. Um, otherwise, I think what I do is I, I like to start the day before. Um, I, I don't ever go to bed without looking at my calendar for the next day, which I know <laughs> is, is probably poor, poor, poor habit. But, um, you know, it's, it's the millennial in me. Um, and I also enjoy what I do, but uh, I like to put together at, you know, at 445, five o'clock, I like to put together a list of things that I absolutely want to get done for the next day. Um, and so I like to do, I like to do my most difficult tasks in the morning, just because I know that that's when I'm going to be able to focus the most, um, you know, as you, as, as the afternoon comes, as the late morning and afternoon come along, you know, folks, folks take, a, you know, want to IM you or video chat you and, you know, may distract you a little bit and, that's not a bad thing. I want to be available to them. So I try and always tackle my most important tasks in the morning. And I always block off time to answer emails in the morning, afternoon, and, and right before I log off for the evening. Um, so I would say that those are the, you know, those are sort of the, some of the bigger, um, the bigger ways I manage my time. Um, I use my calendar for everything. Uh, it's, getting, <laughs> it's getting to a point where if I'm traveling for work, I put it on my personal calendar. Otherwise, I'm going to forget it. Uh, Cause I don't all, you know, you don't always reference your, your work calendar whenever you're out, you know, yeah. with your friends and things. And so, <laughs> um, so yeah, those are some of my biggest uh, habits whenever it comes to time management um, yeah. as well as, as well as making sure that I have time, you know, I, we just, we just got a puppy. And so I, I make sure that I have time to take the puppy outside and, you know, to, to move my own legs since I've been working from home for the last six months. Nice. What, what kind of dog did you get? We got a golden doodle. Oh, nice. Nice. Yes. Um, and what would you pick for the name? Uh, his name is Chapo. Uh, Chapo, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the uh, the family that named him, uh, named him, uh, he's Chapo means, you know, shorty um, in Spanish. And so he's, uh, he's the runt of the litter. And so that's where the name came from. <laughs> I, I love it. That, that's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, talk about how, how different it is. Obviously, um, you know, with with not having fans, um, you know, in a lot of NCA uh, venues right now, and how different is that I'm on the ticket side? And what are you guys doing? Are you guys doing any preparation for a potential, you know, restart or essentially to get um, as many fans in the stands for 2021? Yeah, so we are, um, you know, obviously we host a lot of our events in professional venues, and so you know we both you know on the record and off the record we have you know i've got relationships with folks at basketball arenas all around the country and so you know i'm texting them and asking them like hey you know what are you telling your what are you telling your fans you know or are you communicating with them via email are you you know is your outbound sales department now an outbound customer service department like you know like just trying to pick their brains a little bit and see what's going on so again that networking piece uh, comes in handy there 
Um, but then the other piece of it too is, you know, we, I, I, my, my next championship isn't until April. And so I have, you know, five or six months right now to sort of see what unfolds and what changes, you know, as of right now, we're planning for limited championship attendance that could completely change. And I may be at full capacity by April, you know, you know, you never know what happens between science and society. And, um, so I think that, uh, as of right now, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm in a place where I'm helping plan more on the operational side of things. Um, and that means, you know, I'm, I'm working with vendors on signage. I'm working with, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to take care of everything that I can outside of ticketing because I want to save that for the, for the very last so that, uh, you know, so that I can do that right the first time. Yeah, obviously. Um, and you know, how difficult is that to plan, you know, during this time when things change on a day-to-day basis? Man, um, you know, I'll say it this way. I uh, back in March, I was thinking, oh, you know what? We're just gonna have championships with no fans. <laughs> and then, you know, literally less than twenty-four hours later, it was like, oh, we're just not gonna have any championships. And so, um, to to say it's difficult to plan is a you know a, a severe understatement. <laughs> um, I can't underscore <laughs> how difficult it is to plan right now. Um, and I think that's with anything. It's you know, it's with traveling home to see my family for the holidays is with, you know, all those sorts of things. Like, do I want to drive or do I want to get on a plane and wear a mask for six hours, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's for sure. Um, yeah. You get the nail on the head. I mean, it's not just affecting, you know, sports environments. It's definitely affecting all aspects of, you know, our daily life. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about, uh, you know, the networking and volunteering. How, how important is that, you know, for, college students to start early and often with that piece um, and not wait till their junior or senior year when it's a requirement to do an internship. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have a good answer to that. Um, I, uh, I, I think that for me, you know, I'm pretty, I'm a pretty social guy. Um, you know, I, 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 I tell my, I tell my friends all the time, I've never met a stranger. <laughs> and so uh, networking comes pretty easily for me. The volunteer piece is one that um, I think that folks really, really, really undersell. You know, I uh, I got pretty involved on campus during my undergraduate years, whether it was with, you know, National Broadcasting Society, the Advertising and Public Relations Society, or, you know, um, the United Nations Students, Associ- Students Alliance. Um, it was, you know, our, our campus NAACP branch. It was all sorts of different um, on-campus organizations. And, you know, undergraduate, you know, undergraduate and graduate students forget that a lot of these organizations are, you know, they're volunteer focused. They are, they're big on volunteer hours. Um, and I had a lot of that built into my, you know, my career as a student athlete as well, because we volunteered with Adopt a Highway. We volunteered with Make-A-Wish. Division two has a, a great relationship with Make-A-Wish, um, all those sorts of things. And so I think that the easiest way to get involved and network and volunteer is to figure it out, figure out what it is that you like to do. Don't necessarily, doesn't have to even be related to your career, but figure out what you like to do and find a way to find a way to do it, do it while you're, while you're still in school. Um, You know, my, my favorite, favorite thing that I did whenever I was an undergrad was host a radio show um, on our campus radio station. It was, it was, it, it ended up being a one hour course credit for me. And I loved loved hosting a radio show. Um, and so I, uh, I th- that's my biggest piece of advice is to number one, just 
find what you love to do um, and fig figure out how you can serve other people doing that. Um, on the networking side of things, um, I actually got this advice from my vice president, Joni Comstock at the NCAA. And, uh, you know, she, a lot of these folks who are on campus in leadership roles in athletic departments, they didn't get there without help, right? They, they all got help. I got help getting, them, getting into my role right now that I'm in, in the NCAA. And uh, so what I've started doing upon, you know, upon her recommendation is just, you know, every athletic department has a staff directory. You know, look up the folks who, you know, who have a job that you want, who have a job that you'd like, to, you know, who, you know, who you'd like to work for someday and shoot them an email and introduce yourself. You know, hi, I'm Daniel Zode. I'm at the NCAA. I, you know, eventually want to work and be the athletic director at Texas Tech University. I just wanted to see if I could, you know, have a conversation with you for half an hour or, you know, even better. Can I, you know, can I come to if I'm if I'm on my way through Lubbock, Texas, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And I, I can't tell you how many senior leaders on campus have extended that grace to me and how many relationships I've built, uh, both prior to and during the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'm going to sing Brad Worthman's praise down at uh, Virginia Tech. He's their uh, senior associate athletic director for external. And I reached out to him blindly, had never met him, had never interacted with him. And now I text him probably once a week just to check in on him. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. I mean, networking is is vital, especially in the sports industry. Absolutely. And you talk about keeping that communication open. Yeah. But what are some other ways to keep that uh, relationship going? Because obviously, um, you mentioned a couple, you know, having a coffee, having that call. Um, mm -hmm. but what are some uh, key strategies to also keep that momentum going to not just, you know, hey, have a conversation for half an hour what are some uh things that you've been able to do well to keep those relationships going yeah so um you know uh, I, I, full disclosure i want to end up being an athletic director um either at a small institution or be a on the senior staff at a uh, power five institution and so what i do to keep those relationships up and open is just you know i, I know that i want to be on the external side of things and so what i do is you know, again, like I, I'm, I'm a, so I'm a huge Arkansas Razorback fan and I have a good relationship <laughs> with most of those folks down there. Um, and so I, uh, I reach out to, uh, so Kyle, uh, Kyle Parkinson is the, he's their associate athletic director for communications down there. Um, you know, they are one of the first teams that has started their football season, right? In the SEC. And so uh, as soon as they played their first game, I shot them a text the, you know, the following Monday, like, Hey, how did things go on? How did it, how did things go this weekend? You know, how was, how was media? Was it, you know, what did you guys do differently? And, you know, I put myself in a position to ask questions that are going to make sure they know that I, I am, I, I care and that I, I'm paying attention. Um, you know, I think it's one thing to, to try and start the relationship, but you know, one, what are you, what are you carrying with you from that conversation that you remember Two, how can you indicate, you know, how can you show them that you are paying attention to both what's going on in the news? Um, you know, for example, they were on ESPN this weekend after hosting their first football game. And then, you know, also like, how do you make it local? You know, he's, he, he's the senior, or sorry, he's the associate for uh, communications. And so he handles all media and press for football games. And so, you know, that, that was sort of how I, how I made it both national and local with him. Wow, that's that's huge. I mean, right there, um, to to personalize it in a way that, you know, you're not just asking, you know, hey, 
you know, I, I need something. You're, you're building that rapport and having that relationship continue. I mean, that's, that's huge right there. That's, I mean, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the other big thing too, and I, maybe this is, um, this is the, the old school in me. I love sending a thank you card. And so I will, I send, I send every, every single person I've had a conversation with, I mailed them a thank you card to their office. Again, all this information is publicly available. You can find their mailing address on, you know, on campus, no problem. And just send, <laughs> them, you know, send them, a, send them a handwritten card. It doesn't have to be anything, you know, super thought out, super elaborate. Just, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to have a phone call with me. You know, look forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say it any better than that. I mean, I remember uh, when I was hired at my current company. Yeah. And when I, before, so I was hired, of course, uh, virtually, but even before I got into the office, I got two handwritten notes. So, sure. uh, I mean, yeah, uh, personalization and also taking the time to do something different is huge. And uh, I mean, yeah, that and the days of, you know, technology and everything going digital, mm -hmm. um, those small gestures can go a long way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Um, so talk about the culture with the NCAA and, and their headquartered office. Um, what is that like? And, you know, with the leadership team as well, you know, if you had to describe the culture within, you know, the office, what would you pick and why? Yeah, um, I would say that the thing that I admire and appreciate the most about the national office is um, how open everyone's doors are. Um, you know, I, I remember the, the first week I was here, um, actually I take that back. I'll, I'll talk about whenever I went through orientation because it's not always, you know, the same week that you're hired. Um, I had lunch with, uh, our VP for division one, Kevin Lennon and our VP for marketing and communications, uh, Bob Williams. And both of them, you know, since, since I had, since I had my orientation with them, every single time I see them in the office, they know me by name and, you know, I ended up having a two or three minute sidebar with them, no matter, you know, no matter the day or the rush. Um, that's, I, I would say that that is, that is the, the vibe and the sort of the thing that I've carried around and appreciated the most about the national office. Um, you know, I mentioned that I had a conversation earlier this year with my vice president and, you know, she, I, I emailed her, Hey, or I, actually I caught her in the hallway and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm looking <laughs> career advice. And, you know, I, was completely transparent with her. Like, you know, I'm still pretty early in my career. I, I don't think that the national office is going to be where I'm my home for the next 20 years. Can I pick your brain? She's, you know, she's former senior staff at Illinois and Purdue and then athletic director for former athletic director for, for UNC Asheville and American university. And, you know, it's like, Hey, uh, can I pick your brain a little bit? And can you, you know, give me a little bit of advice here? And, uh, you know, it was, it, I, I'm not kidding whenever I say it was less than a week later, I was in her office having a conversation with her. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, open door policy um, is uh, incredible. You know, it, it's a, definitely a bust now, especially, um, yeah. you know, in the time of, of, of Zoom, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It, it, this And this was, I got lucky. That was prior to Zoom. So I got to sit less than six feet away from her. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And, and talk yeah. about the work at home environment and how, you know, how you've been able to manage that, um, you know, with your day to day and all of the responsibilities you have. 
Yeah. Um, so I think that uh, we we adopted the work from home pretty quickly and pretty seamlessly. Um, we transitioned from uh, Skype for Business, I'm sure, as many folks did, to Teams um, early this year. <laughs> and uh, so we are not a Zoom organization, which honestly has been great because we've had zero issues with Teams. And I, I love using Teams. Um, but, uh, you know, technology aside, uh, my my productivity really hasn't been interrupted. I mean, we, I, I would, I would be, sh and I'm going to say this as my personal opinion, not as a representative <laughs> of my employer. Uh, I would be shocked if we go back to the office anytime soon. Um, you know, as of right now, it's, it's not costing us any more money to be work to work from home. It's not, you know, our, our, our service to the membership has not really gone down, you know, barring, the you know the impending furloughs that are being taken uh, between now and January the end of January, um, but uh, I I think that I think that in general we're doing we're doing okay with this remote work environment as far as productivity. Yeah. I can't speak for everybody. <laughs> yeah, but you gotta I mean you gotta adjust right. I mean obviously um, working from home can be difficult if you're not you know around the office environment. Um, but talk about, you know, being able to to have that open door policy through those virtual meetings. How important is it to communicate, um, have that open communication through your team members um, on, a, on a virtual level? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I am one of the younger members of my team and I've been here now for three years. Um, and I think that that says a lot about both my team and my department. Um, but my again my team we all we all kind of have an open door policy you know obviously there's the you know there's the the coworker and you know friends the the gray area between being co just a coworker or just a friend those sorts <laughs> of things but uh you know there's there's a pretty regular mental health check in now um and you know especially with uh the things that have gone on socially uh both locally and nationally uh there's been a more concerted effort to be you know to to ask how how people are doing mentally um which, which has been, you know, as a person of color, has been great. Yeah, for sure. Um, talk about, um, you know, the issues going on right now and different things, the routine mortality, and talk about how the athletes and how they've been able to, um, you know, speak out and have that voice. Yeah, so we uh, we actually just had a call um, last week uh, within championships. So uh, we have uh, started a group within the championships department called the Championships Equity, Diversity, Inclusion Action Team, and we've shortened the EDI component to just the E, and we we call ourselves the Seat Team, uh, which means that we're saying the the T twice. But it, that's beside the <laughs> point. Uh, but uh, what we what, what we've charged ourselves with doing is, you know, obviously promoting diversity, equity and inclusion um, within the sports space as a whole, but also within the national office. And so not only are we challenging everyone around around us, but we're also challenging ourselves um, to, you know, to promote us, to create a workspace and a work product that is diverse, equitable and inclusion inclusive. Excuse me. Um, and so, you know, last week we we brought in four student athletes, um, you know, divisions one through three um, and, you know, just had a had a conversation with them similar to like a fireside chat. And just, you know, we we just we we let them lay it out on the table, express how they were feeling. And, you know, and then, you know, the staff had an opportunity, had an opportunity to ask them questions and, you know, get a feel for how they were feeling, both, you know, in regard to 
what's going on within sport and also just what's going on, you know, in general. Um, and I think that we are getting better about providing space for those voices. Um, and I think if you take a look across all of our social channels, that that's pretty clearly demonstrated now. Yeah, for sure. And obviously sports has, um, whether it's the collegiate level or the professional level, mm -hmm. um, sports is definitely the greatest unifier, a unifier, as they say. Absolutely. So how important is it, um, you know, and on the, on the college athletic level, you know, how do the players feel? And is there a sense of, um, you know, of growth or progress that they, that they're, that they're able to start um, even as a college athlete? Yeah, um, I, I'm going to say it this way just because I, um, you know, I, somebody shared this with me and I, it really resonated with me. I think that sports being the unifier they are, are very liberal, but the folks who run sports make sports very, very conservative. And so, you know, and I, and I say that, I would say that in the same vein as the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, if you look at the folks who, you know, who are making decisions both on, you know, whether it's on rules or on, you know, on any, any of those sorts of things, um, it, it, it tends to paint sports in a, so it makes change a little bit slower, but I think that being that conservative makes change a little bit more permanent. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned, um, you know, having more uh, discussions, open discussions about uh, current topics, current things going on in the world, having uh, college athletes being involved in that. Um, so what are you hearing from the players and and the college athletes um, from their side and yep. and their view of what's going on? Players want to know that they are heard and that they are physically safe and that they are socially safe. And I think that right now, um, we're trying to figure out what it is that we need to do to make that happen. Um, you know, and I, and I say that too, personally, you know, I wanna know what I need to do to make myself feel physically safe and feel socially safe. And, you know, how are, how are the people around me gonna do that? Whether it is, you know, my employer, whether it is the, you know, the, the folks that are around me that serve in the public sector, how are my politicians going to do that for me? Um, you know, it, it sort of, it, it transcends more than sports for me. Um, but, you know, looking at it from the perspective of a student athlete, I think that that's, that's what I'm hearing most loudly. Yeah, for sure. And, and also different things, um, different challenges with that. And what do you see the most difficult part of, you know, with being, with that, you know, having, um, you know, trying to make sure that athletes are taken care of uh, both socially and, um, you know, with the health side as well, the most difficult part of that. But what has also been, you know, the positive that's been able to push the ball forward? Um, man, you were asking these heavy hitting questions. <laughs> and I like, I, I keep thinking I'm going to be ready for the next question and it's not happening. Um, so I'll take the first part, uh, the, the latter part of that, um, the, the difficult pieces here. Um, I think that the difficult parts here are going to be that you have a, a student athlete body of nearly half a million, um, you know, young adults and, you know, half a million people don't want the same thing. Um, and so I think that it is distilling those, you know, those opinions of those student athletes who are vocalizing them 
um, a lot of times through SAC, um, which is the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, um, and figuring out how do we take their, you know, their voice and, you know, make it something executable, if that makes sense. Um, now, on the other side, things that I think have been easier that have gotten better, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm saying this both from the student athlete perspective and from my own perspective, um, I think that we all collectively feel like our voices are being heard, that, you know, the things that I experience as a person of color, the things that the student athletes of color experience, they don't have to experience them in silence or in isolation anymore. Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. I mean, I think that's great to have those discussions and we definitely have to have more. Um, if, and this is definitely, um, obviously it's hard to tell, um, but do you see um, the NCA if, if something were to happen, um, obviously baseball, NBA, the professional level has uh, postponed games uh, due to taking a stand Mm -hmm. um, for social equality. Mm -hmm. Do you see that happening if, um, you know, things were to transpire? Uh, do you see any, you know, college leads uh, taking that uh, stand in the, in the future at all? You know, I, I think that it, I, I can't, I, you can't rule it out, right? Um, <laughs> I, I can say that from our perspective that uh, we have now, uh, we've, we've changed a couple of our bylaws. And so student athletes are allowed to wear social justice patches. Um, they're allowed to change the names on the back of their jerseys. And so we are taking a page from the book of some of the other professional leagues right now, which is great. Um, I think it's a step in the right direction. But, um, you know, it's tough to say until until you, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. Um, but I think that uh, I, I mentioned the seat team earlier that I, uh, I talked about a little bit. And uh, one of the components or one of the subcommittees on the seat team is our um EDI at championships committee uh, subcommittee. And so that subcommittee is charged with, um, you know, determining what steps we need to take in order to create a more diverse, equitable and inclusive championship environment. And I think that that is going to play into the opinions and the actions of student athletes and what happens at championships. And so um, I think that uh, I, I think that this is going to be an interesting year um, across the board. And I, I'm I'm both excited and a little bit nervous to see what happens this year. Yeah, for sure. And moving forward um, to 2021, um, what is, you know, what does Black Lives Matter uh, mean to you? And overall for those athletes, what do they want people to know about that? Yeah, um, I think that uh, for me, uh, Black Lives Matter um, just means that you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want people to assume my thoughts or my feelings or my opinions. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that I finally feel like I have a voice and, you know, my, my opinion is different than a lot of people. And I, I don't, I don't always like to go with the flow. I, I kind of like to go against the grain sometimes. I kind of like to, you know, to, to share a dissenting opinion and, um, not not just for the sake of disagreeing, but for the sake of making things better or understanding why things are the way they are. Um, and I think that for student athletes, uh, you know, I think that I think back to my time as a student athlete and I think back to a lot of the, you know, the stereotypes that I had to, you know, that I had to put up with or that I was, you know, that I was lumped into. And I I think that 
that is the those are the things that we're trying to avoid and that we're trying to you know create an avenue and a space for those student athletes to um you know to voice whether it's a frustration or a concern um and or for you know for their teammates and allies to speak up for them too um and so i I don't know if I just tiptoed around that question or if I just answered that for you. No, no. I mean, it's important. I mean, I think, um, you know, for that, I mean, you want to hear, like, going back um, to a pivotal point on the NFL level Mm -hmm. um, when Colin Kaepernick kneeled for the national anthem. Yeah. He wanted his voice to be heard. Yep. And I think that's the more – that's the – when that all started, you know, you had – people who were against that but you have to as you mentioned all you're asking is to be heard and that's important we all i think everybody wants a voice we all want similar things and essentially you you want that voice to be heard Mm -hmm. um and not ridiculed for an opinion a thought you know your your voice and i think that's important i think that we have to carry that um in the near future Mm -hmm. yeah and i would say that um, the, the voice, having the voice and hearing the voice is just the beginning because, you know, I, I, I want people to take action. You know, once I, 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 I think that a lot of times I see my, you know, I've seen my counterparts and colleagues, not, you know, not necessarily at the national office, just in, in general. Um, and a lot of times they share their opinion once and things change. And I think that the expectation is that action comes along once, once an opinion is shared. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't set it any better than that. And, yeah. you know, just as we close things out, you know, yeah. um, you know, being a college athlete, how important was that? Um, you know, how much uh, what lessons did you learn being a college athlete um, that you carry over into um, your sports career now? Yeah. Um, so I, I think I was in a unique position. Right. And so uh, I was in I was a track and field athlete. Um <laughs> And I, everybody calls it an individual sport, but people forget that, you know, track and field teams can win championships too. (laughs) And so uh, I think it was pretty cool because it it taught me both the, the teamwork component and the, uh, the individual component on, on outcomes from hard work. Um, But what I, you know, and, and one of my, uh, one of my favorite, uh, I've, I've got this in nearly every single one of my opening statements and elevator pitches is that. I used to work out for, you know, nine to 10 months a year to shave hundreds of a second off my time in the 400 hurdles. <laughs> uh, and so I think that whenever folks talk about big picture and or meticulousness and attention to detail, you know, I, I get it from all angles. Yeah, Daniel, um, I love it. And yeah, man, um, any final words of advice that people want to connect with you? What's the best way to do that? Uh, I am, my, my handles are all the same across all social media platforms. So D Zode, D Z E W D E. And that is Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, I am happy to share 15, 30 minutes with anybody who wants to connect, have a conversation. You know, I, I'm a dad joke connoisseur. So if you want <laughs> to hear dad jokes, I am even more happy to hear those. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. And yeah, I, I love what you're doing. Keep killing it. And you know, maybe in the near future, I'll see. Uh, we'll see you in uh, college athletic department. Absolutely, and I, uh, if I'm not mistaken, did I see that you're in the? You said you're in the Baltimore area. I will be in uh, Towson in uh, May, so I will definitely give you a shot whenever I'm in, in your neighborhood. 
<laughs> That's awesome, Daniel. Yeah, I uh, can't wait. I went to Stevenson, so not not too far from Towson. So yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me, Adam. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks to you for joining the podcast. It was yep. uh, a pleasure, and yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, have a good rest of your evening. You as well. Thank you.